1: Not playing dolls, she is stalking the halls for the thrill of the kill. Every person in school is aware of her stare. When she tosses her hair, they go perfectly still. Nice Have to scatter like mice From a jungle cat And though Janice is great She does not have this power People literally cat
2: you are backstage with Mel and Mike we're here for another, well I say Wednesday but it could be any day wherever you are listening from your podcast streaming app Indeed, indeed, we are timeless (laughs) <laughs> I do Speaking like of that. which, uh,
3: humble apologies for the uh, uh, fact that we ran a repeat of a uh, previous show last week. Both of us were, were f- pretty tied up with a bunch of other things going on, just couldn't make it. But, you know, not bad to hear something again from time to time. Good we things did, take we, time. We covered Tuck Everlasting as our musical of the week, and we also pondered a bit on the new regional theatre, which uh, we hope to discuss very shortly, actually, with Mark Servian.
2: We hope. We will be discussing that very shortly with Mark Servian. Uh, and in case you don't recognise that little opening now, that we started with that was Apex Apex Predator from Mean Girls Uh -uh. Uh, it's a teen movie from the 2000s. Uh, it was hot on my list of movies to watch when I was a teenager. Of course. Um, you won't know anything about it, but I'm going to enlighten you. You're just assuming.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know much about it and I'm, I'm hanging out to be taught. Uh, but as we just mentioned before, you know, one of the topics of discussion we've had recently has been the Waikato Regional Theatre. And we said, I think at the last episode that was broadcast, we should get Mark Servian on the programme.
2: We did. We did say that. And we've been threatening to for a little while. Who is Mark Servian, you might ask. Uh, he is only a man about town. He's quite a man of knowledge and experiences. Hi, Mark. Kia ora. Man about town. I quite like that for you. Yeah, that's quite the description.
3: <laughs> Social commentator, man about town, artisan in your own right. The list is pretty long, really, when you start drilling down.
2: Yeah, what but else do you do? Art
0: I prefer Instigator. Instigator. Ooh, okay. I like that too.
3: I get the feeling, though, Mark, mm. that, that there is still a lot we don't really know about you from a public sense. How much are you willing to divulge for us?
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a thing to ask. All kinds of things. I don't know. What would you like, what would you like to know?
3: Since we're all about theatre and about acting and performing and directing and all that sort of stuff, just where do you fit into this big jigsaw that we call the Waikato Theatre scene?
0: Um... I moved to Hamilton in 1987 because this was the place where the McGillicuddy's was happening. I'd already run for mayor of Wellington the year before, and it seemed strange at the time, and even now it seems a bit odd, but it certainly seemed to me, having grown up in Wellington, that Hamilton looked much more interesting. So I moved here and dropped into a malheur of people doing all manner of different things, Um, and so I came here for the street theatre and I stayed for all the other troublemaking to some degree, uh, so yes yeah, started off doing primarily street theatre very soon afterwards because the same people who did the mcgillicuddies were doing the slip of the tongue um theater company and so very soon after moving here started doing summer shakespeare's um years before it was part of the gardens festival it was already on at the gardens so so that would have been the, we did uh well we actually did the scottish play as a as a as in garden place and then and then we did the the, the tempest at the gardens and. Yeah, and so theatre just sort of unfolded. I, I had that overlapped with the Electra Theatre Company, what was around in the early in the early nineties. I had a kind of peripheral involvement in that. Um, McGillicuddy's continued to roll along. I was president of the McGillicuddy Series Party right through that time, and that drove a lot of the street theatre I was doing. And then um, towards the end of the decade, there were the street theatre thing sort of kind of got a little bit more professionalised. We started doing street theatre festivals and thinking that what we were doing was art rather than just troublemaking. (laughs) (laughs) And and I landed up with the job of um, the third street theatre festival that was going to happen. Paul Smith had started them and Paul Beer had done the second one and then it fell to me to do the third one. And I sat down with William Faramond, who you will remember, the late William Faramond, and we Mm. had a discussion about whether this was worth continuing. And and that conversation turned, uh, instead of doing a street theatre festival, I started the freelance street theatre company which was an attempt to find a way for all of us who've been doing street theatre at that time to make a living out of it. And that still continues to this day. Uh, Sandra Jensen took it on after a few years and has run it very well, well, 20-odd years since I started it and was pretty driving it for the first two or three, four years. And then, yeah, and then I had my own performance troupe called Aesthetic Generation at that point. Um, uh, I went and did the drama um, degree at uh, the Waikato Uni- University of Waikato in the late 90s, and so I was in a lot of shows there. started thinking that I might be a theatre director and directed a few shows of my own for Upstage and did a, a, a partnership called Gravitational Forces that did a few things. did Galileo at the, the Gardens, Brecht, um, and Howard Barker at the University, Scenes from Execution, that was all many, many moons ago. And then kind of was confronted by the realities of being a solo parent and couldn't really think, well, much as I wanted to be a theatre director, probably should do something sensible, so I went off and did journalism. But that kind of took me off to, uh, to do... I landed up coming out of that and landed up instead being a press secretary for the Green Party at Parliament for a few years and then went and worked for the Green Party in management for a few years. It distracted me entirely. But during that period, I was, had the idea of the riffraff statue and so organised that... That's quite important, I guess. You'd mention that in passing. No, nope, we were going to get <laughs> there. I <laughs> put the Riffat statue on the main street. And then a few years later, kind of came out of the Green Party and dived my head back into Spuffin. And so I've done a few more things in recent years around placemaking and um, redeveloped Embassy Park and uh, and was on the Meteor Board 10 years ago when we kind of got that back together. haven't actually walked the... I think the last thing I actually performed in was probably Another Tempest. and I did direct Taming of the Shrew a few years ago and Titus Andranicus a few years before that. But it's been a few years since I actually did theatre. Mostly now, I'm working for Momentum and we're building a theatre. Yeah, we're so, going to get to so that all too. that. stuff, all that stuff I just mentioned, I guess. Is relevant. Yeah, it you is. Did <laughs> you did <laughs> ask.
3: You did ask. we want to I know. Try to
0: keep, I, I try to keep it short. I think I mentioned all the things I need to mention,
3: yeah. <laughs> I, I'm curious to know, you mentioned uh, right at the beginning of all of that, uh, that when you came to Hamilton, apart from your political affiliations and aspirations, you started uh, almost immediately getting involved in street theatre. What was your background in that before you actually moved here?
0: Well, doing McGillicuddy Street Theatre in Wellington. Yeah, okay. I mean, McGillicuddy's, McGillicuddy's was primarily, the political party was just the front for a street theatre operation. It was a justification for doing street theatre. And, um, and a few years later, we worked out that actually we got better coverage. Ironic- I mean, ironically, everyone thinks we were relatively famous, but most of the really spectacular street theatre we did didn't get any media coverage. Um, or if it did, it was because something went wrong and we heard about it in the <laughs> media afterwards. Because it was in the days before everyone had a phone camera on their phone. So lots and lots of things we did didn't get properly recorded. Um, And street theatre was the way into that. I mean, we didn't think of it. I mean, when I started, the very first things we did in the mid-80s in Wellington, we called them stirs. It was like you'd put on a costume and you went out on the street and the idea was to confront the public. With, what was going, with, with something, I mean I, I think there's two kinds of street theatre, there's the sort that uh, makes money, which is mostly around um, tr- proving that you can do something that other people can't so stilt walking is a cool version of that and then there's every other kind of circus trick I'm much more interested in the other kind of street theatre, which is the sort where you do stuff that people wouldn't do
4: mm-hmm.
0: um, rather than can't do, so slime for instance, people covered in slime and squirming around, Glute Max was a thing that I did for a few years, that's that's an example <laughs>
3: Sure
0: um, um, Yeah So I don't know how it backed into it it was, it was a form of activism I guess Rather than I don't think of myself if you, if you take the definition of a thespian As being a person who has a Desperate Or maybe not desperate But even ambient level Of need to be under lights, I'm not a thespian I don't think I think I'm an activist I'm, I, I do theatre for the, the effect Having said that I hate the tactic theatre if you know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't think theatre is something that's for lecturing people with, but I do think that it's um, it's something that is a, a change agent, if you like.
3: Okay. Were you influenced at all uh, back in those days by the work of Red Mole and people like that?
0: I was aware of it, although I didn't get to meet them until many years later when I was doing the theatre um, d- degree at Waikato. Um, there was a conference that Bill Peterson organised, which was like the... The conference of all the theatre academics from around Australasia and Red Mole people turned up to that that's when I met John Davies who I think has been in a show again recently here and the Red Mole people both of who've who've died since and um, so I was aware that it was out there I mean I think in the back of my mind I remember thinking that when, when it, and we'd been doing it for about 10 years in the mid, and we were thinking that we could be kind of move on to other bigger things I certainly had um, the likes of Blurter at the back of my mind as sure. a precedent because yeah. cause the because at least in hamilton the the origins of the mcgillicuddy street theater was that period in the late 70s and 80s it was house trucking culture mm-hmm. there's a a book that's just come out called um um street uh, Ro- The Row people of aotearoa which was graham is grant kansas in as a very young man and it's um and that that was the thing that wellington didn't have was this whole culture of coming well i see when it came here was people living in old houses and Building the, turning the houses into the things that were like the house trucks, you know, mm-hmm. and there was um, and there was a whole i mean i i, I 'm still living in claudon 's like it, it died many moons ago, and i 'm still left here by myself with it <laughs> with remnants of it around me you know because there was a culture here that 's long gone that was what brought me here in the first place it 's been squeezed out by economic reality and everything else in the meantime but but there was a, a lot of empty old houses i mean we lost Memorial Drive. Mm. That was two years ago, and that was a continuous occupation of freaks for for thirty, forty years. You know, and I lived. I mean, I lived there. I lived at one hundred Old Farm Road. Lived at Bedford Manor. Um, did you live at Mem Drive? Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm, I lived there twice, actually. Oh, yeah, in you... the early nineties. Yeah, oh, he I is mean, that was, the, that was the, that, was the, that was well, that was the base of the McGillicuddy's then. Sure, sure, um, yeah.
3: What appealed to you about the idea of getting a refresh statue established
0: mm. ah, um, in some ways, the statue is like a frozen piece of street theater because mm. it serves the same purpose. Um, Oh, way back at the, the, the origins of the McGillicuddy group in Wellington Was the collision between a bunch of nerdy war gamers And the Rocky Horror crew <laughs> So I'd done Rocky Horror Way, way, way back in the mid-80s I'd gone along to the Paramount in Wellington As a, a 17 or 18 year old As a, as a trainee It's the most uh, um, um, naughtiest thing I could find at the time <laughs> And, um, and that built over into street theatre Because and, and, uh, the same group of people Who would go to the Paramount Then started doing street theatre um, so Rocky was there, and, but I wouldn't say I was a, a huge a, a fan, a, a hardcore fan. I was more motivated by the potential for a story about Hamilton that could really rocket socks off in terms of changing what it is. I mean, Hamilton. I think the interesting thing about Hamilton is the tension between the provincial town and the and the nascent city. Mm-hmm. You know, that's 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 where the and, and I want that to be continued. But I see myself as an agent for the cosmopolitanism rather than provincialism. And, and you know, when Bob Jones stuck the farming family down the ma- end of the main street in 1990, Graham and, and Merafie had climbed under the sheet the day they were going to unveil it. And when they unveiled it, they were there as human statues, as a particular piece of guerrilla theatre. And and the Hamilton Press wrote a, a, an outraged editorial that, you know, the statue was going to be lo- there long after those bloody McGillicuddies were, were <laughs> long and dead and forgotten. And that was kind of a declaration of war, really. And it took a while. But I wasn't thought that the alternative, when I thought of the statue, the riffraff statue, after seeing a TV show on which um, Richard O'Brien had walked through that space, he said, this is the place where I used to cut hair, and I thought, we need a statue there. <laughs> and, um, and so that was an opportunity. The alternative was blowing the cow, the cow family up, um, <laughs> and I didn't think that was a good idea. So. So putting a, a statue of a man in fishnets at the other main end of the main street seemed like the best way to kick Hamilton in the ankles Pro, and kind of upset, upset, it's, upset it's, it's like a geography. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Provides a bit of balance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because now they're both there. That's both, right? That's the provincialism and the cosmopolitanism manifested.
2: That's right. Yes, yeah.
3: All right, and then now you find yourself uh, knee-deep in, uh, I guess, conventionality by being part of the process of getting the new theatre up and running. What's your take on the process so far, and how satisfied are you to be part of that?
0: Oh, it's good fun to be involved in. Um, and, you know, there is an irony that, again, when those early, the very first things, amongst the first experiences I had on arriving in Hamilton was Alec Forbes was putting on shows in empty buildings all in the south end. So they kept getting closed down by the fire brigade. Um, and that was kind of how we came to have the Meteor um, because of that was a building next to the, the actual, what we now call the Meteor was called the Meteor as a brief theatre and that was a phenomena of kind of guerrilla theatre. So the idea that we're now building uh, in, in the Left Bank Theatre, which was where Electric Theatre was, was actually right there behind the old Hamilton Hotel it got into that weird Spanish villa. And of course, the Embassy Theatre stood where um, Embassy Park um, is. Was um, I, I think bad, "Bad Taste" was the only movie I ever saw in that movie in that theater, movie theatre before it closed down. Um, so there's a there's a lot of hist- hell of a lot of history of performance in that space. For all the fact that you know, there's I mean, Clarence Street's not that far away. For all the fact that founders was really important and stuff, and a lot of stuff happened there. A lot of a lot of performance has happened in the time i've been here just in that area where we're now putting the theater um i i'm happy to be involved as a day job the day as a um in terms of working for momentum i enjoy it it's 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 good work um making making the world a better place sort of work which is what i like to be doing in my day job um it happens to be that an alignment of my um writing skills and marketing skills and project management skills and interest in theater all align in this job so you know from that point of view I'm having a great time um it's going to be uh it is going to be a game changer i mean i write about how good it's going to be all the time and i believe every word that I've, i'm writing um i think that there's a lot of variables to still to play out in terms of what happens in terms of the operation that arises in the community engagement and all kinds of things that will happen as the thing develops. At the moment, we've been focused on the bricks and mortar and in some ways, the interesting thing is going to be when the human brick and software gets plugged into this machine, you know. Um, right. And um, and when that happens, it'll be quite interesting. Um, um, so, yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's um, The, the theatre is, is, is a good thing for the city in lots of ways and I think if we all, um, you know, it, if, on one level, it's, necess- it's, it's an interesting thing in terms of the ratepayers are paying for it, but there's also philanthropic money in there. So there's a governance, interesting governance model that's going to be developed, and if we're going to accept that philanthropy is, what got, you know, philanthropy is a thing. It, it's and personally, I still believe that people should pay tax. It doesn't think they don't think the two things should be mutually exclusive, but. If we're going to draw upon philanthropic, ph- philanthropic money, the community foundation model for kind of um, focusing it and streaming it in a way that comes to these sort of outcomes is a really good one.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I guess that uh, leads me to a next question: uh, What is what would we say your big dream is for the new for the new theatre? Like, what's your ideal? What would you really like to see from it?
0: Oh, Ooh. the
2: big questions.
0: No, he's asked me that question before. Um if I was going to be potentially um, um, causing myself some trouble (laughs) um, I mean the obvious thing would be to see Rocky Horror happen in the new Mm theatre the thing is is that Richard Richard O'Brien ironically is is kind of ambivalent about it more so from the point of view of his support for founders than anything else Um, and so although um, I know Operatic are very keen on the new theatre David Sewell and Paul Mitchell are big fans um, there's the the uh richard richard is, has been sort of at least sitting on the fence as far as, as it goes and is, is you know isn't going to have a jump in and for instance in the celebrity endorsement scenario mm-hmm. or anything like that That's interesting. so i 'd like well yeah i mean i'd like i 'd like rocky horror to to happen in the in the in the theater um but there's a bunch of stuff to to negotiate and maneuver before we could do that but you know an operatic would do it they 've already done it twice and done a great job other times and it'd be great to see them do it again yeah um that so that's that's one thing other than that i'd need to emphasize that i what i'd really like to see is just everything like every kind of stuff yeah um there's um it's being in design physically designed with the intention that any kind of performance on any scale can happen and that it will and that the building will assist the outcome, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um,
3: there, there is a bit of a fear, though, among certain groups that what kind of regional theatre is going to be a venue that is fiscally out of reach in terms of uh, the cost of hiring it and the practicalities of putting something on on that scale. For some organisations, it's just going to be a bridge too far. They're not going to be able to do it.
0: Yeah, well, that's a reasonable fear, right? I, why wouldn't you think that? Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, though, noting everything I've said so far, the actual construction, the, the actual there's the vision that we're, we're articulating which is share the stage, the vision is that we want to be able to share it the rubber hits the road as the operations company comes together and the whole thing gets figured out on that level right um, the, I know from working within the organisation momentum that in terms of the fundraising organisation, the leadership organisation that the desire for it to be a community and commercial success is is complete now what, and with the Waikato Regional Property trust, the test is going to be when we get to the point of actually getting it operational, and so the onus is upon all the stakeholders that, that both inside the building and outside the building to actually come into that process with um with good intent and trying to make that happen you know mm. um, it's it's not um yeah that's what so that's a reasonable fear that's a reasonable fear. all I can say is that nobody wants that to happen from what I can see
2: we just got to wait for the process to unfold, I suppose, and see what happens and get engaged when we're asked to. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolu- absolutely, like most
2: things, you know. Yeah, totally. Can
0: you look
3: further ahead, uh, Mark, and see what you might want to be doing in another five years once, uh, once the theatre's up and running? You, you, you oh, don't Jesus sound like Christ somebody who likes to let grass grow under his feet.
0: Oh, uh, that would be telling, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, I would say that I'm, in my own mind, I'm not going anywhere until the theatre's built. I haven't. Uh, there's, there's. After that, the future either, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe the theatre itself is somewhere I want to work. Maybe I want to run away to the other side of the world. I mean, that's kind of where my commitments are at. The theatre is something I'm committed to see happen. So that, that's all I'm sort of um,
2: locked in by. Not, right. not planning for much else at this stage. One quick last question from me. I
3: mean, you, your background in street theatre suggests a, a bit of a guerrilla approach to um, prodding people and and using theatre as a means of doing that. Do you think you'll ever give that away entirely, or is it something that you think society needs and you always want to be a part of that?
0: Well, it depends on me. My street theatre. I mean, one thing I haven't talked about at all is, is that when the theatre gets built, I'm also, it's my other hat on the Riffraff Public Art Trust. Um, Chair hat, is that I'm going to be trying to redevelop Embassy Park again, outside around the, uh, with the Rocky Horror theming, awesome. and and so the, um, that side of street theatre where I'm doing a you know it's not even actually well what's well, not conventionally called theatre, but I kind of see as an extension of it, the um, creation of interesting placement, you know, place making and gap filling and that kind of guerrilla approach to doing this um, urban design. Um, I'm, in a, I'm, I'm feeling happy that I'm in a good place to make sure that happens well outside the new theatre. Um, then, this, again, putting the theatre, the most recent stuff I've been doing had been organising the um, events in Embassy Park in its old form. You know, we were putting on kind of performance events, performance cafe type events and, um, and movie nights That's the last piece of active organising I did in that space. And I can anticipate that the whole point of making the new Embassy Park um, suitable for performance is that there's some performance happening there mm-hmm. so um, i want to see the space outside the theater alive with action as well and so that's probably in a in a in a in a organizational making it happen sense where i see my next energy going um in terms of my my ability to my interest in going out and causing trouble i mean whether it's doing stuff at demos or or as a standalone street theatre. Now I'm always gonna be up for that. That's always good fun. Still interested in, I mean, I've still got aspirations in terms of giant, building giant puppets and, and performing um sort of processional images that I've been harbouring for thirty years that I've never really realised.
2: There's still you know, time mark. History.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, so there's no there's no shortage of things to do,
2: Christ. So watch, we'll, watch the space. will see him this back man. on stage yeah.
3: yet. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Mark Sabian, oh, for taking the time to join no us problem. on the show. It's always a pleasure to learn a bit more and to know a bit more. And um, you—you're a man to watch, that's for sure. Cheers, oh, Mike.
0: Have fun. Thanks, Mark. You, Thank you, Mark. Listen to backstage. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Regina. George.
1: I wanna watch the world burn and everyone get.
2: Byrne from Musical of the Week Mean Girls. It's based on the teen movie featuring Lindsay Lowen. You're with Mel and Mike listening to Backstage on Hamilton's Free FM.
3: Uh, Well, since we're here and since uh, we're ready for it and since we've already played two songs from it, Mel, you might as well start off and bring us everything you know about Mean Girls and it's a Broadway adaptation.
2: As ready as you're ever going to be, eh? I am. Yeah. Okay, so, for those of you who don't know, and besides Mike, there won't be many, uh, Mean Girls was a 2004 film starring Lindsay Lowen, Amanda Seyfried and Rachel McAdams about the perils of being an outcast and starting at a new high school. That much I think I knew. Yeah, it's fairly one of those standard, stock standard stories. News emerged in October of 2016, the day fans dub Mean Girls Day, in reference to a line in the movie, that the musical would have its world premiere in Washington, D.C. in the Autumn of 2017. The musical Mean Girls did indeed then make its world premiere at the National Theatre in Washington, D.C. in October of 2017. That ran until December of 2017 before moving to Broadway at the August Wilson Theatre in March of 2018. It was then announced in January 2020 that the production had made back what had been spent and was now in profit-making mode. Unfortunately, a couple of months later in March of 2020... Timing. You know where this is going. uh, Broadway shut down entirely thanks to the pandemic, and it was announced in January... 2021 after been off stage that whole time that Mean Girls had closed permanently after 833 performances it probably would have gone on to do quite well um further than that 800 odd performances
3: isn't a bad innings but that's actually uh, seems quite a long time to make its money back doesn't it
2: yeah I, do, I mean it wasn't a Hamilton or a Les Mis you know it didn't make its money back in its first couple of months sure. but it did eventually and and had it not been shut down by by the pandemic, it probably would have kept yep. running. I'd say, yep. um, it would have gone maybe, or would it would have had over a thousand performances, which some of these shows we talk about don't. Sure, yeah. That production did garner twelve Tony Award nominations in 2018, including Best Musical and Best Book of a Musical, and it won none of them nominated for nine drama desk awards winning only outstanding book of a musical for writer tina fey and it was nominated for six outer circle critic awards winning only one again outstanding book of a musical for tina fey
3: no i didn't know she
2: wrote the book Yeah, yeah it was a it was a creation of her she was inspired by the movie very cool Following uh, 2018 or 2020 and the closure of um, the Broadway production, a US national tour began in Buffalo, and we haven't really heard much about it anywhere else in the world since then. Um, Aside from that, in January 2020, Tina Fey announced that a film adaptation of the musical was being produced, and a West End production was supposed to hit the stage uh, last year in 2021, but we're still waiting on word of that thanks to COVID-2. And so if you're old like Mike... Uh, and me but mostly mine not as much (laughs) here is a quick rundown of the plot with as few spoilers as possible I've cut a few of them out so you don't get the whole thing okay The show opens with unpopulars Janice and Damien breaking the fourth wall and inviting us on their journey to get to know Katie, who has just moved to a Chicago suburb from Kenya, Africa. Katie soon realises that her high school classmates do not readily accept others who differ from them. Shortly after, Janice and Damien adopt Katie and try dissuading her from any interest in the Plastics. They're the cool girls. The trio consists of Regina George, she's the Queen Bee. Gretchen, Regina's nervous and eager to please in command, and Karen, the stereotypical dumb blonde. Regina and her fellow plastics decide that the new girl will eat lunch with them for the rest of the week, and Katie is stoked. Cool. Yep, oh. naturally. In AP Calculus, following that, uh, Kevin, the head of the Mathletes, is impressed with Katie's performance in class and asks her to join them, but Gretchen, one of the cool girls, warns her that joining the Mathletes is social suicide, and Regina quickly steps in, scaring Kevin away. Obviously, Katie thinks Regina is super nice for protecting her, but Janice isn't convinced and tells Katie as much. Amazed and intoxicated by her newfound power, however, Katie does not heed any of Janice's warnings, naturally.
3: Well, you don't, do you? No. At that age?
2: No, you don't. Well, even at this age, you don't. You, you just. <laughs> anyway, <the> <laughs> I digress. Later, it's girl talk time. Gretchen asks Katie if she has met any boys she likes. When Katie tells her about Aaron, Gretchen becomes horrified because he is Regina's ex-boyfriend, which makes him off-limits. This is where we learn about the Burn book, where the Plastics put photos of their classmates and write mean comments about them. They come across Janice's photo in the book, and Gretchen explains that Janice and Regina used to be best friends. Apparently, Janice freaked out when Regina didn't invite her to her 13th birthday party, which is why they aren't friends anymore we also find out here that Gretchen has lost all confidence in herself thanks to her friendship with Regina which is another ongoing theme Mm. of the show and then we get to know a little bit more about uh, Aaron who is I guess becomes the love interest um, in his blossoming friendship with Katie He confides that Regina made him feel like he wasn't himself And that he's sworn off dating because of it Katie is disappointed because she wants to date him But discovers that Aaron is actually also a maths whiz So she uses that knowledge to act stupid And get Aaron to help her with her work And therefore have more excuses to interact with mm-hmm. him I don't know anything about maths yeah. So now they've gotten to know each other Aaron invites Katie to his, his Halloween party Giving Katie a cool girl education, Karen, another of the uh, the plastics, explains that Halloween is about looking sexy and having a hot costume. In true teen movie fashion, Katie misunderstands and shows up at the party in a scary costume, humiliating herself. Later at the party, Gretchen spreads news to Regina of Katie's crush on Aaron. And of course, Regina is not impressed. And she spitefully manipulates Aaron into getting back together with her. Katie sees the whole thing, and it's the cherry on top of her already quite horrific night. She goes to Damien's house for some comfort, and he tells Katie what really happened with Regina and Janice. Uh, It was that Regina accused Janice of being a lesbian. And when Janice didn't deny it, her classmates bullied her until she left school. Revenge on Regina and the Plastics is instigated, but Regina's reign is far from over and that's the end of Act 1 building tension Yes. so we're in Act 2 now the winter break happens during intermission and we come back to find that Katie has been promoted to Queen Bee the leader of Karen and Gretchen though Damien and Janice naturally disapprove there's a series of teenage events including Damien and Janice trying to hamper Katie's ever growing social obsessions and make her stop acting dumb for Aaron and Gretchen and Karen convincing Katie to lie to her parents and throw a party while they are gone over the Weekend, which Katie does, Aaron comes to the party too, and they sneak off to her be- off to katie 's bedroom where she tells him the funny story about how she pretended that she was dumb to make her make him like her, and Aaron is not stoked, and he tells Katie that he liked the smart and kind version of her, not the new plastic version of her. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Damien and Janice discover that they were cruelly not invited to the party. Regina finds out that she was purposefully left out as well. She adds her own name to the burn book to throw off suspicion and releases the pages around the school, giving Katie all the blame of it, of their creation. <sighs> so lots of things happen. There's an intervention with the principal and uh, Katie and Regina, uh, they're trying to force them to make up. Regina runs off, Katie follows her, and Regina gets hurt mm-hmm. not by anyone on purpose it's just an accident an accident but i won't spoil what happens it's pretty no, shocking don't do that. and good. the accident prompts katie to reevaluate herself and realize what a monster she has become she's suspended for three weeks and banned from the spring fling but when she returns to school Ms. norbury offers her a way to earn extra credit and save her grade and go to the ball and that's joining the mathletes at the state championships Katie does so so she can attend the spring fling and she is elected belle of the ball or prom queen or whatever you call it and uh, if you want to know what happens to the crown you can check out A Mean Girls Slime Tutorial on YouTube or the 2004 (laughs) movie is available on one of your streaming platforms yeah Uh, and to finish up with a little bit of critical reception to tickle your taste buds Marilyn Stasio, in her review for Variety, wrote, Faye has front-loaded the show with great gags. Nell Benjamin's lyrics aren't half as clever as Faye's off-the-cuff wisecracks, but they get the job done and are quirky enough to make you listen hard for the good stuff. Fans of the original movie should be reassured that nothing important has been purged from the story. Sarah Holdren, reviewing in New York Vulture, wrote, Mean Girls isn't flawless. The first act is so strong with such a well-built, fast-paced arc that the second half feels like it takes a few tugs on the starter cord before the lawnmower fires up again. Uh, And similarly, the New York Times reviewer Ben Brantley wrote There's a reason the show is called Mean Girls They're the next door versions of those cosmetically perfect pop and movie stars whose public vanities and follies we savour with such glee. Miss Faye is smart enough to let us wallow in and renounce it at the same time So, uh, the reviewers liked it but they didn't love Somewhat,
4: it.
2: Yeah. Entertainment Weekly said it's an ode to self-respect and the benefits of a STEM-based education. Broadway's Mean Girls is a lively, frequently hilarious adaptation of Tina Fey's 2004 high school comedy, and that's all you need to know about Mean Girls musical. It probably is. Lots of uh, teen angst and
3: tension, and uh, you know, breathless schoolgirl sort of gossip. This exchanges, that sort of stuff. In
2: 2004 or five, when I would have first seen this movie, it was all very fresh yeah well close but yeah it was all very fresh you know it hadn't been done before yet a thousand times right yeah i was gonna say there's a familiarity to it yeah when it's because it is itself a bit of heathers yeah it is heathers for the 2000s yeah yeah okay that's what it is still sounds good yeah we are nearly done
3: but we're not done yet stand by don't go anywhere we've got other stuff coming up
5: my mama used to tell me baby girl don't ever eat lunch on the john your mother called you baby girl singing (laughs) so what if all the ducklings think you're ugly it's because they've never seen a swan it takes all kinds of people who need people so find people you can bear we'll find your group your herd your flock Come take a walk and answer my small questionnaire, which I'll sing to you... So find a click and stick with it Say Where do you belong? Let's take a walk around the cafeteria, shall we? I'll show you the world as I see it Varsity jocks and JV jocks Will throw you in a locker if you say hello The rich stoners hate the gangsta whites Though they're all smoking the same oregano Here Go quiet. Eating birthday cake around them makes them crazy Debate team And dance
4: team They like
5: to, to compete. compete And if they don't win Their parents ground them
4: Who's that? Darling,
5: that's them athletes Cool Joining them is social suicide It's all college applications And Doctor Who quotations They wear their awkwardness with stubborn pride This is my dance break Where? The strivers and survivors just waiting for June. The junior achievers, the Christian believers. The tall-
2: stage with Mel and Mike. Thank you to the sponsorship and support of eighty-nine point zero Free FM and Creative Waikato. Musical of the Week is Mean Girls.
3: And now that you've heard all about it, there's only one thing left to do, and that is tell you about a play. The Things I Know to Be True by Australian playwright Andrew Bovell is coming to the Cambridge stage in July at the Gaslight Theatre. July, that's starting at the end of this week. It's so oh my gosh. It's directed by Chrissy Hotkinson and features regulars to the Waikato stage, Nick Hall and Kate Martin Booker. Woo. It's a play about love in many of its forms, at times quite confronting and supportive and at others quite suffocating and destructive. Fran and Bob have brought up four kids. They've paid off the house. They've loved each other for over 30 years. And it should be time for them to slow down, smell the roses, and enjoy each other's company. But the lives of their wildly complicated adult children are about to come crashing through the back door. And I can tell you that's exactly what happens in life. Things that were once believed to be true are exposed, challenging the foundations of family, and demanding new definition. We have talked about this play before in one of our play summaries. So have we did, we? Yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah, I- and it was always stuck in the back of
2: my mind as one that I'd really love to see on stage,
3: so I'm hanging out for this.
2: Andrew Boville is one of my favourite playwrights, and he also wrote wrote an amazing play called When the Rain Stops Falling, which, if I haven't talked to you about that...
3: I, you gave me a copy of that to read. You need to read it. And it did my head in. Oh, and I need to read it again because it's it one of it those time-shifting
2: Maybe we should do a reading. Yeah, oh, Just a four-funsies reading. <laughs> anyway. While I still can. So you can go and watch my wife on stage in Cambridge. Haha, <laughs> my wife. Um, here's our non-exhaustive <laughs> list of what's coming up around the place soonish. At the Meteor, Hui, pronounced Hui,
3: devised by Henirangi Marie Berryman and Benny Marama. It's on stage 2. Tonight through to July the 1st And That Bloody Woman, directed by Courtney Mayo And Kyle Chewin for Bold Theatre Starts August 27th The Pillow Man by Martin McDonough, Directed by Jason Wing for Wing Valley Productions Is coming on stage in October
2: Yeah it is Riverlee Theatre has Sherlock Holmes and the Baker Street Irregulars Directed by Glenn Matthews for Hamilton Playbox That opens this weekend and runs until July the 16th
3: Mm, And Mel is on stage in that That's (laughs) Mel's return to the Riverley stage (laughs)
2: Stop telling people
3: Are we allowed to say already also that you're going to be in The Pillow Man?
2: I guess so, yeah. Yeah, we should do that. (laughs) Mel's really
3: milking it at the moment, getting on stage, which is great to see. Yeah, well,
2: I'm doing what I can. Anywho, uh, Geezes is also coming up, directed by Mike Williams for Playbox. That's on stage in August. And also directed by Mike Williams is Saturday Night Fever. That goes to stage in November with tickets on sale right now.
3: At Clarence Street Theatre, Shrek the musical, directed by our mate Nick Wilkinson, is opening July 19th, running to the 23rd. And Krishnan's Dairy, presented by Indian Inc., back again September 8th to the 10th. 10th.
2: Navarra Lounge has open mic night tonight and every Wednesday at 6pm. Bookings to perform are essential. And if you want to find out what Ivan has going on all the time, just mm. go check out the Facebook page, the Absolutely. Navarra Lounge Facebook page. set keeps that well up today. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Morrinsville Theatre's Stop Watch by Fred Simpson, one night only this coming Friday, July the 1st. That one's just a reading, I hear. Yeah, it is. It's a play reading because it's uh, kind of being experimented with a bit, and I believe that Gaslight's going to do a rehearsed play reading sometime in September. I oh, love that.
2: Teatro Ha Little Theatre have Death and Taxes, directed by John Watson, on stage right now and closing this weekend, July 2nd.
3: Gaslight Theatre in Cambridge, The Things I Know to Be True. We just talked about this by Andrew Bovell, directed by Chrissy Hodkinson, opening July the 30th, running to the 13th of August.
2: Matamata Dramatic Society have a one-act play festival coming up, featuring the plays Chook Chook and Last Tango and Little Grimly. They're on stage June the 29th until July the 3rd. Tararu Theatre
3: Players are in rehearsal now for The Mousetrap by Agatha Christie. That's on stage in September.
2: Rotorua Musical Theatre have Streaking Through the 70s coming up, directed by Shona Clout, opening July 15th until the 30th.
3: Tauranga, 16th Avenue Theatre, Puffs, directed by Laura Mansell, opening July the 8th, running to the 23rd. Detour Theatre are in the last week of their season of The Old People Are Revolting, a Devon Williamson play. That's closing this Saturday, July the 2nd. And Tauranga Musical Theatre have rehearsals for We Will Rock You in Full Swing. That's on stage at Bay Court in September.
2: Theatre Fakatani School of Rock, the musical directed by Sue Harris. That's on stage right now and closes next weekend, July the 9th.
3: Now to the Auckland Theatre Company, Scenes from a Yellow Peril by Nathan Joe, directed by Jane Young, on right now to July the 3rd. Long Day's Journey in Tonight by Eugene O'Neill, directed by Shane Boucher, opens July the 5th, running to the 30th. And Oscar Keitley's Dawn Raids opens August 16th, running to September the 3rd.
2: Then just around the corner, the wedding singer. Uh, is being presented by David Venn Enterprises, playing at the Bruce Mason Centre from June the 30th until July the 17th. The Girl from the North Country is presented by GWB Entertainment, that plays at the Civic in Auckland from June 30th until July the 16th. And Oliver is presented by the National Youth Theatre, playing in the Kiri Te Theatre at the Aotea Centre from July 1st to the 3rd.
3: Upcoming auditions and opportunities. One night in lockdown is a two-hander play written by Owen Mooney. An audition reading is oh, going bitch. to be held tomorrow night. Check out the Hamilton Actors Group on Facebook for more information.
2: Melanie Allison is a Waikato-born and bred playwright, shortlisted twice by Playmarket, and she is holding auditions for her latest play, Nowhere Baby, on Saturday, July twenty-third. Email. Alison Melanie fifty five at gmail.com for more information.
3: The Miss Cadaver Undead Beauty Pageant is still taking entries for their final Miss Cadaver contest. Entries close August first. Email Sandra Jensen ninety nine at Yahoo.com.
2: And auditions have been announced for Greece by Sprouting Rice Productions, directed by Kyle chewin at Clarence Street Theatre. Auditions are taking place Saturday, August sixth. Check out the auditions page on Facebook. And don't forget, if there's a show or audition opportunity you would like us to spread the word about, give us an email on BackstagePodcastNZ at com, or a Facebook message or a tap on the shoulder or a, yeah. a wire message or something. Yeah. Let us know.
3: Send a pigeon. <laughs> yeah. And just like that here we are at the tail end of the show Thank you Free FM as always for hosting us Thanks to Creative Waikato for sponsoring us. Catch up on Backstage at your favourite uh, podcasting platform we're talking about iHeartRadio, Spotify, AccessMedia.nz blah 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 and check out Facebook and Instagram because we do updates on that too.
2: We do do updates Ha <laughs> do do. Uh, thank you Mark Servian for joining us. Mike and I will be back next week with another musical of the week and some roundabout theatre related discussions I'm sure. We
3: promise and as the curtain comes down today we're going to bow out gracefully with icy stars from our musical of the week mean girls
2: i've been Mel. he's been mike and you've been backstage stay classy theater nerds
4: cheap
1: fake easy to break that's how i used to be here take it now i'm awake I'll tell you what I see. Plastic don't shine. Glitter don't shine. Rhinestones don't shine the way you do. You are so real. You are so rare. I see you there. I see you.